0: <laughs>
1: and a new Irish record for Phil Healy,
2: 22.99.
3: Christy Coney hands over the Sam McGuire Cup to Graham Canty, Cork All
0: Ireland champions for the seventh time ever. Hello and welcome to episode twenty two of the Star Sport Podcast. My name is Jack McCarran of the Southern Star, and I'm joined as always by Star Sport editor, Kieran McCarty. On today's show, we'll be joined in the studio by former Cork footballer and Island Rovers clubman Deermit Duggan to preview this weekend's Super Eights clash between Cork and Dublin in Crow Park. Deermid will also chat to us about the state of Cork football in general and how he thinks they'll fare in their first attempt at the Super 8's.
3: We're also going to be joined by one of Ireland's fastest men when Dara McAllity stops by. Dara has been in flying form of late, and the Kilkenny men now sits on top of the European Under 20 rankings over both the 3,000 metres and 5,000 metres ahead of the European
0: Under 20s this month. Before all that, though, Kieran, you were in Thurles on Saturday night to see Cork overcome Leash to book their place in the last eight of the All Ireland Football Championship. Firstly, were you impressed by the performance, and secondly? What do you think has gone right for the panel in recent weeks? There was such doom and gloom just a few months back and now there's nothing but positive vibes around the camp.
3: Uh, first off, Jack, yeah, you can't but be impressed by Cork at the moment. Um, they've come a long way from the from those early rounds of the league when things were, were, were desperate, You could, uh, for want of a better word. and um, Against Leash the last day, they they scored 2 7 unanswered just before and after half time. Four points before half time, 2 3 after. Brian Hurley got two goals. And they were rootless in them. Ronald McCarthy said after that he thought some of the football was sensational. Um, so maybe when Pat Spillan said in the Sunday game, after the Liberal game, that Cork were Barcelona like, maybe we were a bit too hard on Pat Spillane. Maybe he. Uh, maybe that's why he's paid the big bucks as a pundit. But, um, no, in all seriousness, you can't but be impressed by Cork at the moment, considering the low base where they've come from. Nobody's expecting them to win in all Ireland because they won't, you know. Kind of will they get out of the super eights group? Very, very, very hard to say. Like, it looks unlikely to, to be fair to them. And um, they're in with Dublin, Tyrone, and Roscommon. But considering where they were to get to the super eights is, is is a great achievement. Um, what's going right for them? It's, Jesus, that's a 64,000 dollars question. Um, I think over the years, we've always said it, even in this podcast, there's no consistency with the Cork footballers. Good one game, bad the next. Good one half, shite the next. Um, but all of a sudden, they've found consistency, and that consistency is coming through their performances, and their performances, uh, with, with those performances, they're starting to starting to win games too. Whether it's winning games, is leading to performances, or the other or the way around, it's, I, I, I'm not too sure, but they've found the consistency there and it's showing they're they're playing good stuff at the moment Um they have a fairly settled team and it's just it's just a do you know what it's it's a good time to be a Cork football fan and that's probably the first time we've said that since this this podcast started so um a lot of positivity but a big test to come but Cork are where they want to be they're the lowest ranked team in in the super rates they're a division three team even though Brian Hurley quipped to me after the game the last day, he said, not bad for a Division 3 team like you keep telling us. <laughs> so, in fairness to the, the, the Cork footballers, um, they're during the last eight. First time they are, I think, since 2014. So, kind of, yeah, just, it, it's good.
0: Well, ahead of Cork's clash with Dublin on Saturday night, we were joined in studio by ex-Cork footballer, Dear Duggan.
3: We're delighted to be joined on the Star Sport podcast by former Cork footballer Dermot Duggan of Island Rovers fame. Thanks for joining us, Dermot. Thank you, Kieran. Um we We're here to chat about Cork and the Super 8s. First off, it's fantastic that Cork are in the Super 8s. Did a comprehensive win against Leash in Turles on Saturday night, and that's booked their place in Group 2. So that's games coming up against Dublin this Saturday night, Tyrone the week after in Croke Park, and then a home game against Roscommon in early August. Um, some turnaround, Dermot. kind of... I just jotted down here, it was Feb- February 23rd, Cork lost at home to Meade 2-12 to 1-9. They had one point from four games, they were bottom of Division 2. Things looked desperate at the time and I know Cork went on to be relegated um, later in the league but there has something has changed since
2: then, there's a lot more positivity around the footballers right now. There is, yeah, and I, um, I suppose when you think back to that Mead game, I, that day they played me they were playing a very very defensive style of football mm-hmm. They, I think they were bringing both their wing forwards back um, even Mark Collins there at one stage who was one of Cork's probably main forwards now at the moment he was at one stage and one of those I can't remember was it Kildare or Dublin he was ended up playing as an an, an extra defender Yeah, uh, Kerrigan was another fellow who was coming back another day You know, mm-hmm. so I suppose it probably all stemmed from I suppose they took two big beatings last year in the championship mm-hmm. they were beaten well by Kerry they were beaten well by Tyrone and i suppose they they probably felt they needed to get a defensive side of the team sorted first yeah. and that was probably something they were looking at but obviously as it turned out they went too defensive and mm-hmm. you have to have a balance um, and i think since then even since that meet um, game that you referenced there i think since then they've put a more of attacking emphasis on the team yeah. and it's started to pay dividends um, so they seem to have got the balance right at mm-hmm. the moment mix it between a defensive and a, an offensive um, Outlook Because you actually mentioned Mark Collins there like, And Mark did come Very very deep Probably too deep for him In a lot of games
3: And that's even Not even this year But the last couple of years But they put him inside Now with Brian With Brian Hurley His Castlehaven teammate And the two boys Are flying inside there. They got 3-12 between them on mm. a- Against Leash on, on Saturday night And Turtles Kind of Like the two of them Together are dangerous Yeah
2: No they're absolutely brilliant And they seem to play Well off each other as mm. well They obviously know each other so so well playing at club level, but um I mean Mark is an outstanding player. He he's he's played midfield, he's played in the half hour line, he's good in the air, he's quick, he's deceptively strong. Mm -hmm. He doesn't look like he's a big frame, but he's quite strong. Um and he's a good finisher. Mm -hmm. So like I mean he's a huge, huge threat in there at the moment. And obviously the the return to farmer Brian Hurley is a huge, huge plus for Cork as well. Mm Um, Consider where he where he came from yeah. a couple of years back it looked like it was all over for him yeah absolutely mm-hmm. and like before his injuries he was you know he didn't probably get the accolades he deserved but he was one of Ireland's top top fours at the time mm-hmm. um, I think even maybe if he had been getting a little bit more better service you know it, it would have been even better for him but um, I mean he's come through those horrific injuries that have ended careers of other players and yeah. he's really starting to get his pace back his confidence mm-hmm. and um, just it it seems to be going so well for him at the moment. Like yeah. Brian has
3: five goals in three games, and in the three championship games so far for Cork against Limerick, Kerry, and Leash, they've averaged twenty six points a game. Mm. I know you've got to take into account um, Leash and Limerick wouldn't be what you kind of you you class as kind of top quality kind of tier one, tier two teams, mm. but still for the confidence of this Cork team, and considering the low base where they've
2: come from, like they have made progress. Yeah. And I, I think what you have to admire as well is the rootlessness of Cork. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are other teams, they, they might be happy enough to beat like Limerick by five or six points, but Cork weren't happy with that. Yeah. Same against Leash, you know, um, people would have been quite happy with a seven or eight point win, but what did they end up winning by 15 or 16 Sweet. or something was it? Yeah. So, um, I mean, you have to admire that. And as you mentioned there, coming from the base that Cork were coming mm-hmm. from, it, it doesn't really matter because like you just play what's in front of you and Cork are doing that at the moment and you, you just can't fault them. According to the Super 8, so like I said, it's, it's three
3: games against top quality teams, Dublin, Tyrone and Roscommon. How important is it for the development of this Cork team to be able to play like the top teams in the country over, over the
2: next three or four weeks? I think it's crucial. Um, just just the exposure in Cork Park alone is a huge thing because mm-hmm. I think is it is it about seven of that team that played against Leash the other night haven't ever played a senior championship game in Cork yes. Park, I yeah. think. So... Um, that's a huge thing, just that exposure alone in, front, in in a big stadium in front of a big crowd, televised mm-hmm. a game and all. So I think just for development over the next year, two, three years, because it takes that, I mean, things don't happen overnight. It's not like a switch. You can suddenly be beating Dublin, I think, or, or any of these big big yeah. Division One teams. But um, I think in terms of general development, it's absolutely massive that they get mm-hmm. exposure to these and build from there. It was interesting after the game in
3: Turles on Saturday night with Rowan McCarthy again mentioned, I suppose Cork are gone well the, the last couple of months, and he again mentioned the challenge games. And a lot has been made about Cork, the Cork's challenge games before the before the Munster Championship. Um, how much emphasis can a team, or should a team, put in a challenge game? And how much confidence can they take off? Take I, off I
2: think it, it all depends, uh, first of all, where you're coming from. Yeah. And, and the low base the Cork were coming from. I think you have to take every bit of positivity you can from mm-hmm. any game, whether it's a training session or whether it's a game. Mm-hmm. So, winning winning becomes a habit. So, whether it's challenge games, league games, championship games, you develop it bit by bit. And I think it's been crucial to Cork because mm-hmm. sudden like the, the public were down on top, of them they had low confidence within themselves from losing these games, you know, and getting relegated. So, I think. Any time you can put it up to Dublin, whether it's a Challenge Game or any other games, mm-hmm. um, then I think you can you can only take confidence from those. So I think it's been very very important to put that run of games together for Cork. Like you mentioned there, Cork put it up to Dublin in
3: a Challenge Game before the Munster Championship. But this Saturday night in Croke Park is going mm-hmm. to be a it's yeah. going to be a, a totally different arena to to, to that Challenge Game. Um, Cork are coming up probably against the greatest football team to ever play the game, to kind of Dublin are chasing five in a row, um,
2: phenomenal team. Cork, have nothing to lose here, did you ever it? No, they, they, I mean, I suppose, unless they get an absolute hammering, is, is the only <laughs> yeah. thing that you don't don't want, yeah. particularly after the progress they've made. Mm-hmm. But um there is a great air of positivity around them at the moment. I think they're, they're not going to beat Dublin. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the spread is 10 points. So I think if they can keep anything below that, mm-hmm. would be um, bonus territory. If they can keep it anywhere five, six, seven points, would be a, a victory in a way yeah. for Cork. Um, and then hopefully they could target one of the other two games coming up after it. But um, yeah, like Dublin are a different animal, mm-hmm. as you, as you mentioned. Um, teams aren't losing to them year after year for no reason, you know. And and no matter what teams throw at them, whether they go defensive or whether they go offensive, Dublin seem to always have the answers. So. Um, it'll be it'll be a different story for sure Um, the level of athleticism pace finishing everything from Mm -hmm. Dublin is just on a different different level Um, but you know I think Cork can go into it with optimism I think the public are getting behind Cork um, not just in Cork but all over Ireland and I think people sense that there is something maybe a little bit different that Cork might have one or two things that might trouble Dublin Mm -hmm. at various stages I was going to ask you that kind
3: of, can Cork cause, cause this Dublin team problems like we said there Corkman scoring for fun they have 10 goals in in 3 games is that something that, that might worry a Dublin team that, that looks like it'll be missing Johnny Cooper
2: and James McCarthy I think so um, because uh, what's interesting about Cork is they seem to have played a couple of different styles in various games depending mm-hmm. on, as the need arose um, they they seem to have married the, the kicking game with the running game at yeah. various times um, against Kerry they use more of the running game mm-hmm. where maybe they sense that Kerry were a little bit more open down the centre yeah. but then against Leash and Limerick they, they mix it up by kicking And they have some particularly very very good kickers um, Rory is one of the guys who seems to always find Brian Harley or Mark Collins inside so um, I think you know if they kick against Dublin Dublin probably drop Keen, uh, Keen or Sullivan back yeah but then if 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 Corks are running at them they're yeah. going to have to withdraw Kino Sullivan so it's good to keep them guessing I think mm-hmm. so maybe it is something that will um, just pose a little bit of a difficulty for Dublin I think mm-hmm. um, at various stages and I think uh, another area maybe is um you know Cork have brought a level of aggression to their game this year mm-hmm. that that maybe hasn't been seen over the last number of years um, I think their wing backs have been a revelation Liam O'Donovan and mm-hmm. um, Matty Taylor have been absolutely superb mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the t- uh, front two boys that we talked about have been excellent: Mark Collins uh, and Brian Hurley. Yeah. Um, midfield has been strong, mm-hmm. um, so I mean, th- there's v- various areas. And Rory Dean, of course, mm-hmm. uh, anything that good that seems to come from Cork seems to come through Rory. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I think there definitely are areas that are, where they can pose problems. Whether they'll be enough to cause them um, mm-hmm. problems at the end of the day, it's it's a different story, you know. But it is encouraging for sure. Like, like I think you kind of said earlier, and an I 100% agree, I don't think many people or anyone
3: outside the Cork campus are probably giving them much of a, of, of a, of a chance against, against Dublin on Saturday night. But looking a week beyond it against the Tyrone game, is that the game that Cork should be targeting? Because if they can get a result there, considering Roscommon are coming to Parky Queeve two weeks after that. It, it might give Cork a chance of, of getting out of the super rates.
2: I think so. Um because like ultimately if they don't beat Roscommon, they're probably not going to get out of it. So or, mm-hmm. sorry, if they don't beat Tyrone yeah. they're not going to get out of it. So if they can um if they can target that game and then, you know, with a bit of momentum they could they could possibly target the mm-hmm. Roscommon game again. So um for sure that Tyrone game is the, the vital one after mm-hmm. that, after the Dublin game.
3: Yeah. yeah. As a as a former Cork footballer like you probably it's probably hurt you to see kind of I suppose the bad times in in the last couple of years, Cork kind of Cork's steep decline. But What's it like now to see this upsurge in positivity? Even after the game in third the last night, what struck me was the players stood out on the pitch and they were signing autographs and they were taking pictures. And at one point, I saw Brian Hurley taking a picture who was holding a baby. You know, it was like something that, like a politician would do, and yeah. we Dean was signing kids' jerseys and stuff. And yeah. I was thinking, just when was the last time we saw that? You know, mm. kind of, the fans were on the pitch and they were mingling. And even after the Kerry game, and I know they lost the Munster final, they were, they were applauded off the mm. field, they were cheered mm. off the field because of the effort they put in. Like, there has been a change. So, as a former footballer yourself, what's what's that like to, to kind of to hear and to see that that the public are starting to get behind the, the, the Cork team again? But there has been this kind of... They've arrested the the, the decline and things seem to be moving in the right direction.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, like, it's very encouraging. It's very pleasing to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, Cork football always, I suppose, is a poor relation mm-hmm. in Cork. That's no secret. Um, the general public and the fans in Cork always seem to get behind the hurlers. And that's... Yeah. It, you know, there's nothing... In, Cork footballers can do about that they can only continue to try and put in good performances mm-hmm. but um, it is it, it's very pleasing but I suppose it's a reflection of the performances on the field as well you know yeah. it ultimately it comes down to that mm-hmm. I suppose you know fans of sport in general can be very fickle mm-hmm. you know as soon as a team starts doing well they're very quick to follow but equally so when the, when a team starts playing poorly they're very quick to drop them as well you know so that's just reality and that's just life um, but I mean it's, it's very pleasing from the point of view of the players because I think people forget at times the amount of sacrifice and the and the time and effort yeah. they put into training, you know. And I, I think you have to ultimately admire these car players over the last few years. For sticking with it when they were getting incredible abuse um, at various various times, and still they stuck through it, and, and a lot of those players are still there now. Mm-hmm. So I think they deserve every bit of credit and uh, every bit of applause and praise they're getting at the moment, you know. And long may continue hopefully. From a West Cork point of view, when
3: we always look after our, our own down here, it's great to see the likes of Brian Hurley, Rory Dean, kind of Mark Collins, these fellas, going well. But at the opposite end of the age scale, Mark White and goal, Liam O'Donovan at, at wing-back. These young fellas, they've really come and they've taken their chance. Liam especially, he's been a revelation at mm. wing-back, like you said earlier.
2: Yeah, he has, yeah. He's at, I mean, his energy levels are phenomenal. He's yeah. just up and down that wing constantly. And, you know, when they tackle, they tackle with intensity and aggression, mm-hmm. you know. So, so they, they leave absolutely nothing in the field. And it is a joy to watch, you know. And, mm. and every team goes out saying they're going to bring a level of of, of intensity to things but they don't always do it you know but so far from what we've seen um, these Cork defenders have brought that and the Cork team in general have brought that and it's been pleasing and um, I suppose you mentioned West Cork there I think whenever Cork teams have been going well there's always been a number of West Cork players on the team so it's very encouraging now to see see some West Cork players Mm -hmm. on the team and, and being some of the main guys um, on it also so I think it always bodes well for Cork football when you have a number of them on it Before I, I let you go David, I'm not going to ask you for a prediction for Saturday night because I think I know
3: what like we'd both go for Dublin there but what can Cork look to get out of the Super 8s the next three
2: games what did, what what, did, what, did, what should he be aiming to take out of the, the Super 8s um, I suppose at a minimum they want to get one win at least I think mm-hmm. and, and it's Definitely, definitely not beyond them. I think mm. um, if they could get two wins, I, I presume two wins would put them through. It wouldn't should it? do. I don't Which, think. Yeah. yeah. Um I think that would be the ultimate target: two wins, and you'd probably be looking at Tyrone or Roscommon there. Mm. But um, I mean, Roscommon or Tyrone, either of those are winnable. They yeah. really are. You know, mm. if 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 Cork play well on the night, they're they're definitely winnable. So I think at a minimum to win one game, and mm. hopefully win two. Brilliant. And
3: final question. What do you think it's like in that camp right now? Kind of, you you could feel the energy after the the game in Turles the the, the last night. Um, Ron McCarthy was doing interviews with the media. Next thing, uh. Um, Ian Maguire bounded in, and he was kind of saying, "Big runs at the wheel and stuff." And you could yeah. see Brian Harley. You could see the kind of the joy in his face, and he was talking to some fella from the men, from the, the backroom team. And he was like, "Next weekend, next weekend." Yeah. You could you could feel the energy and the positivity, and it's like it's a team of high in confidence. Like, so, what would you like to be in, in in that camp right now this week, looking forward to the big game?
2: It's it, it would be absolutely brilliant because mm-hmm. I mean nobody likes training in in January, February, in the in the muck and the darkness and the dirt and all that you play for games or you train for days out in Croke Park and Port yeah. Creeve and, and Simple Stadium and all those kind of things so like when they came into training whenever they came in maybe Tuesday night or whenever it was mm-hmm. I mean you're, on, you're buzzing to, to take part, you're buzzing to play and um, there's, a, there's always enthusiasm after a big win like that and you're looking forward to the next game mm-hmm. and I suppose that's the beauty of these Super 8 games now as well where even if they lose against Dublin, they have no time to you know, dwell over they're yeah. straight into the next game mm-hmm. again you know? so it's, it's, it's a brilliant time of the year to be playing football for mm-hmm. sure and that's why it's great to get into these Super 8s
3: Hopefully we'll have a positive performance from Cork on Saturday night and in the next couple of weeks against Tyrone Roscommon to follow. Diamond, thanks for joining us.
2: Thank you.
4: Thank you for listening to the Star Sports Podcast. Don't forget to pick up this week's Southern Star featuring our award-winning sports section that has everything a sports fan in West Cork could want. Available every Thursday in shops across West Cork and online from anywhere in the world. The Southern Star number 1 for sport in West
0: Cork. Welcome back to the Star Sport podcast and Kieran Dara Maclehany has been in sensational form of late. And I know from sharing a workplace with you you're pretty excited by what you've seen from him. And before we hear from him you might just let the listeners know a little bit about the Glengariff man. Um
3: Dara is talented there's no way of saying it he's a middle distance runner from Bantry Athletic Club and he's been on been on the scene for a good couple of years now. Um, if you go back to the 2016 Olympics, when he was only 15, he was taken out to Rio ahead of those Olympics with um, Irish pentathletes Arthur Lannigan O'Keefe and, and Kenny like uh, Man, Kenny like Man, and Natalie Coyle off of Tato Park fame, isn't it? Yeah. So that that kind of shows even back then, like he was 15, but they brought Dara out as their running partner before the Olympics. And he's a former West Cork Youth Sports Star winner. But the last the last couple of years. I, I've lost count how many national records and PPs he set. Even in, in the last six weeks, um, he became the first Irish teenager to, to run under 14 minutes for the 5,000 metres. Then he set a new um, Irish a national 3,000-meter junior record. He's in phenomenal form at the moment, and he's set out to the European under 20 championships. Just
0: before you, you throw to the interview... Um... I just want to make reference to the level of tactical insight he speaks to you with is incredible for a man of his age. So for those listeners out there who might not think too much about the nitty-gritty of -of Mm middle-distance running, and for them it's just a race on the track. Just listen to the way Dara talks. About the tactical side of the game, it's so interesting.
3: He's such an intelligent young man when it when it comes to speaking about athletics. You could actually listen to him all day. Like he's yeah. he's depth of knowledge. Yeah, his
0: enthusiasm is infectious. Was oh, a no, the, I noted when I was uh, listening to him. Really, really interesting.
3: Like his depth of knowledge is incredible, and he's he, like like I said, he's a he's a super talented young athlete, and we're definitely going to hear a lot more about him in the months. And years to come, but hopefully it will be seen a lot of headlines about him in the next week or so. Because Darwin is flying out to Sweden next week for the European Under 20 Championships, where he races in the 5,000 meters. He's heading into these championships, like I said earlier, Jack, as the top-ranked European. At both the five thousand meters and the three thousand metres. So he's a real life medal contender, which is fantastic, a fella from a young fella from Glengareth who could hopefully win a medal at European level. So um Dara popped into the studio, so listen, you can listen to here to what he said. We're delighted to be joined by Dara McElhinney from Bantry Athletic Club before he jets out to the European Under-20 Championships in Sweden next week. Um, Daryl is one of the top young middle-distance athletes in the country right now, and currently he tops the European Under-20 rankings over both the 3,000 metres and the 5,000 metres. And he's coming off the back of a very impressive form that includes a lot of national records and a fair few um, PBs. So. The European Under Twenties in Sweden next week, Dara. They've been your target for a long time. Can you tell me why they are so important to you, and why you feel you are in contention?
1: Um, I suppose like the main the main reason they would have been a target for so long was that I would have identified like when I feel that I would have been in the shape to actually, you know, put a stamp on on the championships. And so, like two years ago now, when I was an under eighteen, my championships was the European Under Twenties. Mm-hmm. Um. And then last year, as an under-19, my championships was the world under-20s, so I feel like I've always kind of been reaching a bit, you know, like there's always been some kind of, like obviously I was only 16 when I was there two years ago, and then last year I was 17, but it was it was all the world. And Whereas this year I feel I'm going in, like I'm primed, you know, I've been to two major championships on the track already, and then I've been to three major championships over cross-country, like I feel I've a lot of experience over the overall like about all the major championships because you know like the thing is they are I mean you try and treat them just as a race but like they are very different you know like mm-hmm. just the whole like you're there for a few days before it and you know you could be like in the same hotel as your biggest competitor you go down and get your breakfast and you're sitting across from him and like it is it's actually as much a mental thing as, as anything you know you, you need to be kind of you need to be prepared for that as well and I think like obviously my first few championships would have kind of taken me by surprise a bit and like, I, I look back on all those now and there's actually probably a certain thing I've learned from all of them. Mm-hmm. So, I suppose I'm just hoping now I can take everything I've learned and just mesh it all together for this one and try and just come out with a positive result. So, yeah, and obviously being my last year junior, I feel like and uh, like I've had a good year so far, but I feel like to put a a, a real stamp on my junior career, like, I, I, I need a medal, like, you know, and I want a medal just to, to really kind of solidify my place as, like, one of the, like, you know, one of the top juniors or whatever, so... Yeah, hopefully now we can, if we can come up from in two weeks time. But
3: because you're you're you must be happy with your form right now. I'm, I'm just I had to write it down because um, I wouldn't remember the times or so on. But you were the first Irish teenager ever to run under 40 minutes for five thousand meters. I think you ra- you, you ran thirteen fifty four point ten in Belgium at an um, IFAM meet, and then you broke the Irish junior record at the British Milers Club meeting in Watford. You ran eight minutes one one point four eight seconds and you took three seconds off the previous P, um, national record and 12 seconds off your own PB. And that's only in, in the last, you could say, six, seven weeks alone. Mm. Um, ahead of those races, had you seen the kind of signs in training that you were on the, the kind of the brink of something something like that, that, that those national records were, were coming?
1: Yeah, I think, like, in a sense, yeah, I think a lot of those things, I actually feel last year especially, would have been a year that I kind of felt like I didn't do myself justice at all. So, like, like I am extremely lucky, like what a lot of it comes down to is that I, I basically have not missed a day of scheduled training in three years, like, because I've been just, like, I've been healthy, and that does make a big difference, you know, Um, so, like, you know, like, the odd day, like, here and there for a bit of a head cold would literally be as much as I've been kind of kept out of training, and I think, I think, like, the, like when you do kind of layer the training on block after block like that, it does make a big difference, and it does, you do kind of get rewarded for your consistency, but, yeah, I think, like, especially kind of around the time of in april me and uh, the rest of my group um we all went out to a training camp in portugal and i think like we all kind of knew that there was going to be you know there was going to be good results from the from the whole group that uh that like in the coming summer or whatever but i suppose like we didn't we didn't know exactly what we were going to run but in fairness like we had we had like you know massive fitness by our coach and like like Dave like Dave for me now. I remember before Belgium when when I did run thirteen fifty four, he told me that he would have been disgusted if I was only going in there to try and break fourteen minutes. Yeah. And like at the time breaking fourteen minutes for me would have been the absolute dream, you know, because obviously like no teenager had done it before and all this. And I was like it would be unbelievable. and It would be the pin- pinnacle of my career. And he told me he'd be disgusted if I tried to go out in there and run thirteen fifty nine. Like and I suppose that kind of took me by surprise because obviously you know in your own head sometimes you'd be like like something might in training might kind of click and you might think jeez maybe i actually am in like thirteen fifty shape but until you hear it from your coach like who has you know more experience more knowledge than you have and when he says it then it really does kind of like it does put it into perspective and it gives you the beliefs to go and to go and get it and i suppose that really is one thing i have learned this year is that every race is very like i mean like before now i, w- I would have gone into a race and i would have known everybody's pbs and i would have known like where i should come and I never really would have had the like the belief or the confidence to to try and break through mm-hmm. that, you know. Whereas like now, like even last week in Watford and stuff, like I think I was ranked probably like fifth in that race, but like I was going in there and I was trying to win it, and there, there was no two ways about it, you know. And I wanted to break eight minutes, and I wanted to get down as as close to it as I could or whatever. And I think things like that, like I've kind of just learned to appreciate that every race is a different day. And I mean, if you, if you put yourself if you put yourself in the position early on. You you might get rewarded for it in the last kilometer and you feel good, or else you might pay for it. But either way, at least then you have no regrets, it, like, you know. So I have come at it with a much more, I think, I've I've been more relaxed as well in my races, which has made a big difference. Um, I've been more relaxed kind of in my training and in my race. I've tried to just take the pressure off myself a bit, um, and just go in there and just kind of enjoy the races and stuff and that, I think that actually has been quite evident, even with the way I've ran them. You know, they've been all my races have actually been entertaining, like good races to watch back afterwards and so for other and kind of just trying to hang on and so like it has been it has been great and the training definitely has been brilliant as well like obviously then that we were in portugal uh, four weeks before belgium and then we went to belgium and there was four of us racing it was four pbs mm-hmm. and you know it was that kind of i suppose especially that was one of our first big race of the season so that kind of set us up then as well you yeah. know and then to be honest like there was no limits really after that um like one of the lads in my group like his his pb before was fourteen twenty nine, and he came out only around 1404 that, that's some jump yeah, in yeah. His, and that, that PB he ran was actually in February as well so mm. in the space of three months he was uh, taking 25 seconds so I suppose when I'm training day in day out with him and all the lads and like the rest of the lads ran PBs as well you know, and that would have said for me that you know, who's to say now? In my three K obviously it was eight thirteen. Like, who's to say I'm not going to break eight minutes? And you know, mm-hmm. for fifteen hundred, who's to say I'm not going to run? Do you know? Like, there was just no limits, yeah. and we went into it fearless, which was, was brilliant. Like,
3: and how much does confidence play play a part in all this? Because, like you said, you've taken huge chunks off your PBs. It's it's not it's not one or two seconds. You've taken fifteen, sixteen seconds, twelve seconds he, here. Like you said, you you just talked there about kind of even taking a lot more time off the PBs. You said, how much does confidence play 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 a role for you? Oh yeah, like the confidence is.
1: Huge, and I think like one thing I've learned about confidence is that I can't control it. Do you know what I mean? There's no, I mean like I have had probably last year, last summer. I think I suppose like basically what I'm trying to say is that the confidence will come from your racing and your training. You know, mm-hmm. um, like for me last year now, like I would have felt confident enough going into a few races just from training, and then I'd have a stinker of a race, and then I can't like I just can't get myself confident for the next race. I just need to nearly not fluke a good race, but I need to just somehow have a good race to get my confidence back. So this year, like I, ha- I wouldn't really say I've had a bad race in since last summer. Really, mm. you know, I've been like generally happy with all my races. Obviously, there was one or two I would have liked to do a little bit better in, but overall they have all been good races. So I mean, in a sense, it would nearly be impossible not to have good confidence at the moment, you know. Mm. And obviously, as I said about the training, like I haven't haven't missed a day now in 2019 either. Um, obviously, like I've taken rest days, but I mean, scheduled days yeah. of training. Um, which I mean, like you know, if you're looking for confidence, that's really that's where you're going to get it, you know, from your training and your racing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like confidence is it is huge, like, and it does allow you to attack the bigger times and not kind of be afraid of it as well, like.
3: Like, we can't lose the fact that you're only 18 you know, but you, you, see, you seem to have been on, on the scene for years and years and years even going yeah. back to 2016 when you went out to Rio with Art Lennigan O'Keefe and Natalie Coyle as a training partner before the Olympics so you've been on the radar for a long long time and of course to Darryl you're a former West Cork youth sports star overall winner um, yeah. when you see the likes of Rob Heffernan on Twitter this week calling you an old school warrior <laughs> and saying that you're going all the, the, all the way to the top, that's after you ran into 800 metres at the under 20 and under 23 national championships um two questions. So what's it like to hear words like that from an Olympian like Rob and why did you drop down to the eight hundred metres?
1: Um oh, it it is it is great to hear stuff like that from Rob. Um uh, Rob Rob is great, like I think like one of the best things about Rob is that obviously like he's achieved so much and he's achieved he's actually achieved so much more than than people who nearly try to portray themselves as uh, like like Rob's a very down to earth like mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like you pass Rob in the street and you you talk to him like in Sometimes, like, for me anyway, like, sometimes I, I nearly forget, like, how good he was because, like, we'd just be, you know, we would be talking and just having a crack or whatever, and I'd, I'd actually forget, like, this was actually a world champion yeah, Olympic yeah. medalist, you know? So that's the thing about Rob, is that he's so, he's so, like, he's very, and he actually would be quite involved in terms of, like, you know, after a race, like, I'd always have a text from him, and, um, obviously, like, like, two years ago, um, yeah, two years ago in 2017, I actually went on training camp with him as well mm-hmm. for nine days, um, and I think, like, whenever you see somebody at that level, you, when you see their their hard work firsthand, I mean, obviously you can hear about it or whatever, but when you're actually there and you see it, I mean, like, he'd be a real source of inspiration for me. And then, mm-hmm. so obviously, yeah, for him to to go on Twitter and say <laughs> stuff like that about me is nice and stuff. So yeah. it is great with Rob, like, he's... And he's very, he's a very approachable person as well, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, if I had a query, like, I'd never I'd never stutter to, to go to him. And, like, it mm-hmm. is great. And then, obviously, you mentioned the 800 as well. I suppose I kind of... I wanted to just... Put a bit of speed in the legs, you know, because I suppose the thing is with championship racing, like like as you would have mentioned, I've the the fastest um five thousand meter in the field now in in two weeks time. But the race might jog around for the first four kilometers, and might be a one kilometer burn up, you know. So one thing really that I've tried to concentrate on this year was to make sure that I'm kind of ready, I'm ready on all bases. So I actually have like it's it's been brilliant, like because I think in the race itself, I achieved fastest fifteen hundred, three thousand, and five thousand. So. I think that no matter what way the race goes I'd be somewhat ready for it you Mm -hmm. know like there's no hope that like there'll be no curveballs or things I'm not prepared for I suppose the 800 was just another kind of tune-up for that you know I was able to go up to Tullamore or whatever and just get a good hard like fast run Mm -hmm. um and shock the legs a bit and it was good like it was something different and I came over the line and it was the first time my legs had felt that kind of you know the lactic acid and everything in a long time really like so it was it was actually great Um, and we were able to get a good training day out of it as well after because you recover quite well uh, like quite quickly from 800 as well Mm -hmm. Um, so I was able to go and do just do a few kind of interval a bit of an interval session afterwards and I feel like yeah like do you know like because obviously you you get fitter from your training but you do actually get certain kicks from your races as well so I feel like because that was a different stimulus and we were able to do a bit of training afterwards like I actually would have got a bit of a kick on after that race as well so
3: Ta- yeah. tactics wise so talk with through 5,000 metres kind of like for, for us on the outside we don't kind of probably understand and realise how much is going on within the race itself you know kind of how much do tactics play, play a role will some fellas purposely slow down the race for to kind of save it for the end or, or and what type of race do you like then? do you like to do you like to lead from the front or do you like to sit back or?
1: Um, so basically like what I've tried to like mould myself I've, I've moulded myself into an athlete that basically just reacts to whatever so mm. it, because it's much it's much easier on me Knowing that I'm going into a race, I don't really have to make any decisions, so I'll just react. Especially like if I'm going into a race and I'm trying to win it, um, if if it's that sort of, uh, standard of race, I'll be I'll usually like kind of slot into about third or fourth, um, or even fifth or sixth. Once you're in like the top kind of like six or eight people, and you can kind of see what's going on ahead of you because, like, all these people now will be coming into this race with completely different. Like everybody's a different profile of an mm-hmm. athlete, you know. So I know like there's there's one lad now who would have a good five thousand meter PB, but his fifteen hundred meter PB isn't good. Mm-hmm. So he won't want it to to jog around and have a one k burn up at the end. Yeah. Um. And then uh, like there's there would be lads then as well who their five thousand meter is is obviously good, but they would be very much in favour of that. Like so, I suppose it depends. Like like typically, what would happen is that like I mean, most of the lads going to this race now would have PBs in around fourteen minutes. Um, but we could be on fifteen minute pace for the first three k, mm-hmm. um, because obviously if there's any bit of wind, as a well, like nobody wants to go to the front, like you know yeah. nobody wants to take it. Everybody wants to sit in. So generally, when everybody wants to sit in, everybody slows down, yeah. and it can jog. Like you could go around, you could be absolutely jogging for some of it, and then mm-hmm. it can just pick up. But um, I suppose like for me, like as I was saying, like what I have really tried to do is that not to be too reliant on a certain type of race, because I'd hate to go into a race and if I wanted a slow race. And you know the first two K was fast, you mm-hmm. know, you know you can imagine what that would do for your head, like you know, you'd be panicking. So that is why I've kinda of tried to I've tried to develop like my fifteen hundred, my three thousand as much as I can, which allows me then that if it is so and it is a one K burn up that I'd be I'd be confident to that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time I have to fast five thousand metre P B so I wouldn't feel like anybody's gonna run away from me in there to say either, you know? Yeah. So for me, like I'll like, I'll go in there and I'll basically try and just react to to whatever and then like typically what would happen would be that it would go through slow enough through 3k and then uh, people will start to get cold feet and they'll get faster and faster and then it might come down to the last lap and there's only two or three people left mm-hmm. and then, then it's just a burn-up for the line really. So like I'll be, to be honest, I'll be happy enough to react to whatever type of race comes up in Europeans um, and just, just I suppose, a lot about it, like the main thing that I would, even if anybody is trying to run a five year, any tips or anything would be for me is that like you don't want to make too many surges. Mm-hmm. So that'd be one thing that I would find is that if it's a, if it's a race that, especially a tactical race now where you know the last lap is going to be probably the fastest lap like if you're after making a couple of surges after let's say 2 kilometers, to move from the back and you kind of sprint to the front and then it, it speeds up again you sprint and like, like every time you kind of make a surge like you're kind of zapping your legs a bit mm-hmm. so like for me I try and if I lock into a pace if, I, if I'm if i running at a certain pace and it means I go back from 4th back to 6th I'll do that just to make sure that the legs don't surge and then yeah. any bit of any bit of zapping the legs is used over the last lap mm-hmm. and then you can, like, that's how I would conserve my energy the best and then be able to have the most in the last lap, like, so.
3: What, what is that la- last lap? Because, like, especially in those 3,000, 5,000, even 10,000 sometimes, the, the, the kick by the athletes in that last lap is, is incredible to kind of summon that energy and yeah. reserves, you know, to go, like, what's it actually like in, like, to run a, even a 60 second, under 60 seconds for the last lap after putting yourself through 4,600 meters first and then finding that energy. What's that feeling like to kind of, is it an adrenaline rush? Do, do, are you actually thinking, is, is it muscle when we are what's it like to, when you actually kick into the top of your
1: yeah no it is definitely like a lot of it is random because sometimes you don't actually feel it until afterwards you know like mm-hmm. like it, it would have happened before now that, like I'd feel like oh I actually felt good in that last lap and then like 10 minutes later like your legs are burning and like you don't realise what you're kind of doing to yourself but I suppose if you're kind of going like purely for the win like what I would try and do is always try to like, get onto the inside rail um, and because like I would have I'd have trust in my kind of last 150 meter kind of uh speed or whatever <laughs> so like what i would often try and do is get onto the inside rail and basically just react to whatever is going on behind me so if somebody comes up onto my shoulder i'll just match their pace i won't try and go faster or slower i'll just match it and then over the last hundred and just go as fast as you can but i suppose every race is different as well you know like it, it could happen that with a kilometer with a lap to go somebody just makes a ridiculous surge and goes into the front and then i'll just be tracking them and just trying to I suppose a lot of it is that you wanna be making sure you're running fast but you always wanna have an extra gear in the last hundred because mm-hmm. a lot has actually lost and one in the last hundred meters, you know. You could be flying it and then like two or three lads come by you and the next thing meadow's gone. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like it yeah. does it happens like and it, it's happened to me before I've been leading a race from gun to tape and in the last twenty metres you could be passed out and mm-hmm. I mean that's that's just the way it is like. So um obviously like the last lap is as much hard work, as actually it is quite tactical as well because as I say, you don't really wanna to make too many surges. I prefer to pick a pace at 400 to go and hold that until 100 to go rather than kind of going fast and slow and, because then like your legs are just a bit zapped like you know mm-hmm. so um, yeah like it is it's, it's, it is tactical because you want to conserve your energy as much as you can but at the same time you're trying to drop the laser behind you so it's tough I suppose yeah but
3: it's it's time to make me feel very very bad and uh, inadequate here um, talk me through a normal training week for you what you'd actually go through kind of um, so I suppose like on a full
1: on a full training week now, um, where I wouldn't have a race or I might have like a, a couple of weeks until a race and I can kinda afford to train hard. Um so on a Monday I do my long run. Um so I'd probably do about sixteen miles on a Monday. Um and then Tuesday I double on a Tuesday so I might do like six miles in the morning and six miles in the evening. Mm-hmm. Um and then Wednesday Wednesday morning I might do just like three miles really slow just to shake out the legs and I'll do a session in the evening so like the session could be anything from a you know it could be six by one mile repeats or like 10 by 1k repeats or anything it could be literally yeah you know, there's a big variety um, and then Thursday would be the same as Tuesday I do six in the morning and six in the evening um, and then Friday would be basically the same as well six in the morning six in the evening like they, that could be eight and four or seven and five or whatever but it's just kind of getting out easy running twice a day and then Saturday would be another session. Like typically like for us, especially when I was doing school and stuff, my Wednesday session would be um uh, my Wednesday session would be more kind of like just strength based. It'd be mm-hmm. at home, so I might do something like you know, it could be something like a five mile tempo, um, which would be like I'd be doing my tempos maybe like like five ten a mile pace or five oh five. Um so I do do that and then on the Saturday I go to the track mm-hmm. um, and then we do kind of more specific stuff. So, you know, like like a, a good session and it's quite a good one to kind of get you ready for a race review it would be like a cut down session so you might do like a mile 1200 800 400 1200 mm-hmm. 800 400 200 and it kind of it gets your legs going at all the different speeds and yeah. at the same time you're getting good volume in it as well and then Sunday it be my rest day um, so I don't run on a Sunday um,
3: <laughs> I think you need a rest after all that to be, yeah, to be honest and then, and yeah. you kind of mentioned school there as well like you can't forget you, you, you just sat to leave and start over and bench for there in, um, in just, just last month didn't you in june so how did how did you juggle training for like you've you've had all, the, all these big events and the european under 20s coming up how did you juggle training and studying for the leaving cert um i suppose yeah, like it did propose its challenges
1: but i think like i actually i was happy with how i managed it overall um obviously i think like at the start of the year had it decided um that school was going to be a bigger priority than running was mm. i would have given it more time but i did like i did give it I gave it the time I felt I needed to give it you know but I, I was fortunate as well that at the start of the year like I I took a lot of stress off myself by just just like, I picked a course that I wanted to do or whatever um, is history and politics in um, UCD and like it's 301 points yeah. so like I would have been confident enough of getting that and mm-hmm. at the same time it allowed me to like even things like you know like the, Be- like the Belgium meet like that was that was 9 days before my leaving cert but at least I was able to go out there and I didn't feel too guilty about not studying because or I wasn't too stressed about not yeah. studying, you know, because I felt like I'd kind of pick something that was sustainable while still training, like, full-time or whatever, because you do have people, like, who who kind of give running the back seat during their mm-hmm. leaving certain stuff, but I just, I had no interest in it, like, no interest in doing that. Like,
3: you, you brought books out to Belgium, but they stayed in the bag, Yeah, they? <laughs> they stayed in the bag,
1: right. There was a few times like that, even coming down from a race in Dublin or anything, I'd throw them out on the train, mm. and I'd have them up on the table, but... It's tough enough to open the book and actually concentrate on anything when your mind's elsewhere, like, you know. But at the same time, like, I suppose Monday to Friday was where I would have done kind of most of my work. I would have tried to just have a decent enough routine going on. Um, and I was fortunate as well the school, fairness school, were good to me. Like, they mm-hmm. would allow me to run during, like, religion and careers and PE and stuff like that. So I only actually ran after school, I think, twice a week. Um, and then we have a half day on as Fridays. Also, so I would a good bit of time, like, yeah. you know. Um, so I suppose a lot of it is, like, time management. Like, I'm not going to try and preach that I'm like the best person in the world for time management but it does help you know like mm-hmm. to to kind of have you know specific thoughts for the things you have to do but I think um like obviously I'm delighted now the leaving starts over and all that but at the same time I think it is kind of what you make it you know obviously it is really like they're big massive like they are mm-hmm. huge exams and all that but if you are going into it and you had a similar kind of approach to it as I did that you know you want to do well but you're not going to maybe try and rinse every point out of it that you could yeah. then it is very manageable to keep on doing the sport at a high level or anything Really. Uh,
3: uh, before I finish up I have to talk as well about you you changed coaches last year you went from Steve Macklin who's gone over to to, to Doha um, you went to Dave McCarthy um, how much of a change was that for you to change coaches because you've been with Steve for, for so long mm. so you switched to Dave so how much of a change was that And, I, yeah like it was
1: it was a big change but I think at the same time it was, it was actually a very smooth transition um, so like Dave Dave would have been like fantastic runner back in his day, like his, like we're also chasing his PBs. He ran thirteen forty two for a five k, um, and he's a three fifty five miler as so, well. So I suppose he has so much experience, but he actually tried. Like in fairness, he, he like God only knows, like the heights he would have got to, it, but he was very like injury prone. Mm-hmm. Um, so he actually tried to make a comeback in two thousand and sixteen, um, or two thousand and seventeen actually, and he joined our group. Yeah. So he was training with Steve, um, but he was only back training I'd say eight or nine weeks and there was another issue and I think it was his Achilles and he was out um so then like he was but he would still always kind of be around the training group uh, the Mm -hmm. training and stuff like that like he'd be and he'd be kind of observing and he'd hop in for a few of like my reps or whatever and so he was always around anyway and we knew him very well so then when he left like I think or when sorry when when Steve left and, and Dave took over I think like the main reason it was such a smooth transition was because we were all we were all we all went together, like you know. Yeah. So like everybody from my group was then being coached by Dave. Um, so in a sense, not that much actually changed. Like we were still able to structure our week like the same way we would have, mm-hmm. and we'd still meet. You know, we'd still meet at, at the track uh, on a Saturday morning like we used to and stuff. And it was a smooth transition. Um, but I suppose like Steve, like like I know, as I say, like I have hardly missed a, day, a scheduled day of training in in three years, and obviously Steve is to thank for that like to a large to a large part because obviously like he would have managed my load perfectly and he's kinda I feel like he got me to a certain state where then when, when Dave took me over Dave was able to, you know, use his experience as as a championship runner, you know, and yeah. like he had he has so many experiences like he was a he has a European under twenty three medal in five K and, you know, like obviously ran three fifty five miles and so and you know, so he was able then, you know, to take to take my profile as an athlete who was, you know, conditioned and mm-hmm. consistent and he was able to tweak it and get me really race-ready. And I think, like, nearly as, like, a combined force of the two, we've all just, we've grown so much, like, you know, yeah. and obviously, like, one wouldn't have been able to, to work without the other. And, it, like, th- I suppose the fact that Steve and Dave are actually good, quite good friends as well, mm-hmm. there was never any, like, bad blood between yeah. or anything yeah. like that, you yeah. know. So... A kind of a smooth transition. Yeah, very and, smooth,
3: yeah. Uh, kind of looking wide right into the future now, kind of... What is the long-term goal? Like we're looking well past European under-20s and even mm. next year and so on. Like I mentioned there, you got a taste of the Olympics back in 2016 when you went to to Rio to help Arthur Lanigan O'Keefe and Natalie Coyle um, ahead, of the, ahead of the Pentathlon. Is that, is, is that the big goal in the distance? Would you love to, to get to that level at some point?
1: Oh, yeah. I think, like, I suppose if you got any middle-distance runner in here, they'd say the same thing, that mm-hmm. it is the dream. But I suppose it is like it is going to be a case of just like ultra consistency the yeah. whole way through you mm-hmm. know because I mean even now like I'm I'm, like aiming to win a medal at the European under 20s but if you go back through the record books like I mean I have no problem saying this I'm very aware that there is a lot of people who've won under 20 medals and mm-hmm. haven't been able to make it to the senior career or whatever because yeah. like it is it is a step up but mm-hmm. I feel like I like I don't think that will happen to me I think I do have to I suppose like the tools kind of needed or whatever to to make the step up to senior and then I mean Obviously, you'd be taking it one year at a time, but you'd be looking at 2024 and 2028, and mm-hmm. you'd be, I suppose, like a couple of years out from them, you'd be thinking, like, what do I have to do to get myself ready for those? Yeah, and yeah. I think definitely, like, I suppose 2028 would probably be more of an aim than mm-hmm. 2024. I think if I did make it in 2024, I'd be going out there purely for the experience because, at, like, I'd only be 23, yeah. and especially for a 5k, like, like, an 800 meter runner might be near enough to their peak at 23, but for 5k, I'd say twenty between 27 and 30 is kind of... Yeah. Because obviously, like, your body is using all the miles you've ran in basically all your life. Like, so I think if I did get out there as another 23... Uh, or as a 23-year-old in 2024, I'd be going out there and I'd be trying to get... I'd be trying to soak up the experience. I'd mm-hmm. be trying to, you know, learn. And then if that weren't to be the case, I'd go back and I'd try and put down a real solid four years and then, you know, use again, use my experience experiences again to, to try and go for... I'm not saying I'm going to go win the Olympics, but obviously to try and get a more, like a, a better result, because I think like it has been shown that there is, obviously it is so hard, especially like in my event, like over 5,000 meters, it is dominated by these Africans, you yeah. know, and it is, sometimes it can be a bit demoralizing, like because you're watching the best Europeans in the world, and like they're coming like 12th, and you're just like, <laughs> do you know wh- what is this? like? But at the same time, you know, in the Olympics in, in Rio, like, like Andrew Butcher, like he's, you know, he's as much a, a normal lad as, as you could get. He's he's Scottish. Mm-hmm. Um and I mean like there's no do you know, there's no like there's there's nothing fancy about him, like he's just a five K runner and yeah. like he came sixth. Um so and obviously like, it, it it hasn't be done, done yet. yet. Yeah, yeah. So and I suppose like a lot of it is really like the path along the way as well, you know. Um like obviously I get and like I get such a buzz off, you know, running like national records over in Belgium and I mean, you know, just because like you know i might not be looking to win an olympic medal when i'm training when i'm 23 yeah. there will still be so many big goals that i'll be looking to you know like if i can break 13:30 for 5k yeah. or i can you know go like sub 355 for a mile and all these different things you know like there's always going to be massive goals along the way and i suppose the ultimate goal will always be the olympics um but i suppose a lot a big part of it is trying to just like take every take every moment as they come before and kind of celebrate small victories as well yeah. because When you look back, I think a lot of them are actually kind of small victories. You know, Mm -hmm. like my coach would say that. He'd say, like, you know, he ran 355 mile and he he was so like caught up about you know trying to you know make the olympics and make the world championships that he finally didn't even enjoy it yeah. but like now that's what he tells people about do you know what i mean so, like, exactly yeah you know so you have e- to
3: even few to moment everything is kind of building up like you said this is your last year as a junior it's kind of up to the oh, sorry under 20 sorry it's up to the big bad world under 23s and seniors after that so it's kind of it's it's it steps along the way isn't it it's kind of progression for you it is
1: yeah and that's that, like that's it's all you can do like you know all you can do is just try and keep getting better every year and you know as I was mentioning to you there earlier like like I'm absolutely delighted with where I am as an athlete right now but I'm well aware that 1354 is nothing in the world of a senior you know mm-hmm. what I mean so um it's it's great to be at that stage as an 18 year old or whatever but like next year like I want to be sub 1350 maybe even sub 1345 yeah. the year after that I want to be sub 1340 and mm-hmm. you know I want to keep on progressing and I suppose if you do keep on progressing like, then you will get the results and you will get the, the rewards in terms of you know, world championships or Olympics or anything like that um, but yeah you need to just keep the ball rolling every year and try and just improve yourself every year and hopefully it will, you know, by the time you get to 27 or 28 if you've improved every year you should be in a fairly good space like, so.
3: oh, Brilliant yeah. well, Dara thank you so much for coming to the studio to join us and um, wish you the best Look for the European under 20s in Sweden next week no doubt we'll be seen and hear a lot about you in the weeks months and years to come yeah, Thanks very much Thanks Dara so,
4: thank you for listening to the star sports podcast don't forget to pick up this week's southern star featuring our award-winning sports section that is everything a sports fan in West Cork could want available every Thursday in shops across West Cork and online from anywhere in the world the southern star number one for sport in West Cork
0: welcome back to the star sport podcast and as always when Cork are in action in the All Ireland Championship, it's usually a busy week for Kieran and the Star Sport news team. So, Kieran, what can we expect in this week's paper?
3: Um, like you said there, Jack, it's kind of busy at the moment with the inter county scene. So, we have a big Cork v Dublin preview ahead of the Super Rates clash in Croke Park this weekend. We hear from Mark Collins, Kevin O'Driscoll, Rowan McCarthy, and Brian Hurley um, about the big game this weekend. Plenty, or plenty else going on as well. In Clannacilty on Friday night, um, the Cork under-20s are playing a Munster semi-final against Waterford, so a huge occasion for for Clannacilty GA Club, and we have an interview with their chairman, Jeremy McCarthy, who speaks about, I suppose, the, the, the logistics of what goes on behind the scenes, trying to organise a game like um, of such magnitude. Um, the West Cork ladies got off to a great start in the senior championship last weekend. They Beat Valls, I think it was 4.17 to two points. So really, really strong start. Um, interesting, actually, Jack, interview with Timmy Harnaday. He's a former skib Olympic rower. And he, he chats to us about, the I suppose, the current competition for places in the Irish lightweight double that has seen the O'Donovan brothers of Gary and Paul split up with Fintan McCarthy from the Twins, Fintan and Jake, who, who we had in a couple of weeks ago. Um, Fintan is now partnering Paul. At this weekend's World Cup um, in Rotterdam, so Timmy is a man who knows he's wrong inside out. So his insight into the competition for places between the four skipmen who are trying to get those two seats in that boat is quite interesting. So we've that and a lot, lot more. It's a action-packed um, sports section this week, Jack.
0: Well, I look forward to reading it. And if you can't get to the shops to buy a physical copy of the Southern Star, which I would recommend. That you do, but if you can't, you can always log on to www.southernstar.ie forward slash epaper, and you can subscribe to the digital edition for less than €2 euro per week.
3: Again, Jack, super value. Um, thanks for listening to this week's Star Sport podcast. We'll be back at the same time next week. So if you enjoy these shows, please make sure to rate, review and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, Acast, Stitcher or wherever else you listen to this show or the show at a pro. Got it in morning.
4: Thank you for listening to the Star Sports Podcast. Don't forget to pick up this week's Southern Star featuring our award-winning sports section that has everything a sports fan in West Cork could want. Available every Thursday in shops across West Cork and online from anywhere in the world. The Southern Star, number one for sport in West Cork.